Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast. We believe God has a place for you to belong, people to be in community with, and a purpose for you to fulfill. Now let's listen to today's message. I'd like you to take your Bibles out this morning, back to the book of Acts chapter 2, continuing the series Back to Basics. And uh, I just want to say uh, welcome to some very dear friends of ours. Yes. Um, that are with us this morning. Our dear friends Alex and Melinda Fuller are with us uh, this morning, uh, all the way from wherever they're living now. Um, the world. Uh, they, they are entering into an incredible adventure, but uh, gosh, how long have we been friends? Ten years at least. No, at least ten years. Probably closer to twelve. And I just want to tell you, anybody that can put up, up with us for twelve years, those are good people. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, exactly, and we're still closing down restaurants, it's funny, so when we first started to get to know each other, uh, we went to dinner, and uh, in fact, it was Thai food, if I'm not mistaken, it was Erewhon, a Thai restaurant in Portland, and uh, we went to dinner, and we literally closed it down, I mean, we were the last people out besides the wait staff in the kitchen, and the door had been locked a while, and uh, what's funny is that it's become our tradition, we close places down. And so, you know, you've developed a great friendship when you go to dinner and you close the restaurant down because you have so much you want to share and, and just discuss and, and be together. And so we're just so glad that you guys are here. They're just amazing. Uh, Alex is probably one of the best lighting directors in the whole world. He's an amazing, gifted, talented uh, guy. It just He's incredible, not to mention an incredible man of God. And then his wife, Melinda, is an incredible author, and uh, God is really opening doors for them. Her book uh, is releasing right now, Obedience Over Hustle. Go to Amazon, get it. It will bless you. I actually sent a quote from it to my son yesterday because it ministered to me so hard, and I thought, Zach needs to hear this as he heads into football season, and so I sent it to him. And uh, I just want to uh, just say so glad you guys are here for just a couple of days. So glad that you get to be with us. And um, we love you guys so much. And church, get to know them today before they, before they jet out to their next adventure. But uh, they'll be back. It's been too long. Anyway, so I digress. So Acts chapter 2. We started into the series uh, Back to Basics last week. And we started with the key scripture, Acts 2, verses 38 through 47. And it says this. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God would call. And with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you for Acts chapter 2 and, and everything that we're unearthing in it. And Father, we thank you for focusing our hearts and our minds back on the basics. God, because so many times it's in the basics that, that we fall short, and, and we need reminders just to refocus. And Father, I thank you that every heart and ear are open and ready to receive. 
Father, I ask you to anoint my lips, God, that what I speak would not be of my heart and of my mind, but of your heart and your mind for your people. Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this has been kind of a whirlwind year for Janet and I. I think we have um, traveled a little bit more than, than most years, and we have uh, met more people uh, in different spheres and realms of life than I think that we have because of those travels. And uh, one particular couple that we met um, actually gave up life in the United States to move to Dubai. And so they live in the Dubai United Emirates, and um, we, were, we were getting to know them and, and talking with them. And, and by the way, they were a riot, uh, absolutely some of the funnest people we've met this year. And, uh, but we're talking to them, and, and they're telling us uh, about what it's like to live in Dubai. Because they're from America, and how many of you know, in America, we, we just do things the way we do things, right? Yeah. I don't know about you, I'm really glad to be an American, right? I'm thankful that this is the nation that I was born into, and even with our issues, it's still the greatest place in the world. Thank you, Nick. And, uh, but we're talking to them, and and just talking, you know, okay, what is life like? What's it like? And what's it like living in Dubai? Because Dubai is one of the most prosperous cities in the, in the, in the, in the whole nation. In fact, they were t- telling us about when they went to, to get an apartment, they had contacted a gentleman, and the gentleman was coming to show them the apartment that they were going to live in, and the guy pulls up in a Ferrari. And he looks at the guy, and the guy is of Arab descent, and uh, he asks the guy, what do, you, what do you do? He goes, what do you mean, what do I do? He goes, well, you're obviously very prosperous. You're driving a Ferrari. Um, you're renting us some property. What do you do? He says, I don't do anything. He goes, what do you mean you don't do anything? He says, well, I've just taken all the money that the government's given me, and I've invested it in real estate, so I just don't do anything. I just enjoy all the wealth that I get. Because if you're of Arab descent and you live in Dubai, what happens is every wife that you marry, the government gives you money. And so this guy has married multiple wives. And every time he does that, the government gives this guy money. And he's just invested it in real estate. And now he pretty much doesn't do anything. I'm thinking, with multiple wives, you're doing something. Because, you know, I'm thinking I'd be in trouble with like, you know, I don't know how many the guy had. But if he had five, I'd be out of, in trouble with four of them at any given time. Can he, right? And so maybe not. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But, um, and so they've, they've had to learn and adapt to the different customs and the cultures of, of the country. And one of the things that's been a bit of a shift for them, especially because they have uh, two teenage children, is that during Ramadan, the laws are very strict about what you can and cannot do. Now, during Ramadan, you are required to fast during the day. That includes water. So... If you get caught with a bottle of water or taking a sip, they arrest you and they throw you in jail. If you are caught chewing gum during daylight, during Ramadan, they will arrest you and throw you in jail. You are only allowed to eat after the sun goes down and then only for a limited amount of hours. And so they had to adapt to that. And, and one day they're driving through the city, and their daughter's in the back seat chewing a piece of gum, and she has a water bottle, and she's tossing it up and down in the back seat of the car. And they're like, whoa, 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 babe, put the bottle of water down and spit the gum out. 
because they don't want to go to jail. How many of you know that's not America? Hello? That is a different culture. It's a different kingdom. And it says here in Acts chapter 2, the very first thing in Acts 2.42, it says is that the, the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Why is it that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? Well, the reason why they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine is you have people from various different backgrounds with various different traditions, very, uh, various different religious traditions, beliefs, and behaviors, and now they've all come together in the church. And you know what happens when you accept Christ? You change kingdoms. And you know what? What was acceptable in the kingdom you came out of is not acceptable in the kingdom that you came into. And the way you do things in the kingdom you came out of is not how you do things in the kingdom that you came into. We have to realize that when we accept Christ, we literally change kingdoms. We change kingdoms. Pastor, have you lost your mind? We're still sitting in the same city, in the same place. Yeah, you're right. Physically, you're in the same space. But spiritually, there's been a shift and a change. Right? You have changed kingdoms. First Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. Listen to this. It says, for this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of him and the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I love it. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's praying for them. And what does he pray? What does he pray? Listen to what he prays. He prays. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Who? Who? Us, the followers of Jesus. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. How many of you know just because you accept Jesus, you don't have all the knowledge of him? You have limited knowledge and spiritual understanding. I don't know about you, when I accepted Jesus, I didn't have a full grasp and a full understanding of what had happened or what had transposed in my life. All I knew was that all of a sudden the guilt and the shame that I was living with was gone. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. And then he goes on that, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. I mean, Paul is praying all these things, and really what it comes down to is that we would have the knowledge of what 
has happened to us because we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Why would he pray that? Because we don't get it. In fact, I would say the overwhelming majority of people who follow Jesus don't get what's been done. They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't grasp the fullness of what God has done as they've entered into relationship with Jesus. See, the reality is, is you and I, we changed kingdoms. We changed kingdoms. And the only way we're going to fully live out everything that Jesus purchased for us is when we realize we're no longer in the kingdom that we came out of. We're in a new kingdom. And that new kingdom functions differently than the kingdom that I came out of. See, let me put it this way. For me, before Jesus, I had a bad week. The answer was, get loaded Friday night. That was the answer. Now, the answer is, be in church on Sunday morning. Yes, even as the pastor. <laughs> right? You have weeks that are not good. You have weeks that don't go the way that, they, that you'd like them to go. And our choice is either to act as we used to act or to act a different way, but we can't act a different way if we don't know how we're supposed to act. Just like our friends. They had to figure out that during Ramadan, you don't drink water in public. And you might do it at home, but in public it will get you arrested because it's against the law. And so many people are trying to follow Jesus, but they're trying to follow Jesus living life the way they were before Jesus. Not realizing that they're in a different kingdom. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And until we understand that the new kingdom functions and operates differently, we won't reap kingdom results. You know, one of the things that I often hear people tell me is, you know, pastor, I gave my life to Jesus, but nothing has changed. I still have the same struggles. I still have the same issues. I still have the same temptations. Well, how long have you been saved? 12 years? 12 years, and you had the same struggles you had before you accepted Jesus. You know what that tells me? It tells me that they don't understand that they switched kingdoms. They don't understand that they switched kingdoms. They don't understand that there's a new way of living that they have to enter into. And that's why if we look at Acts 2.42, the first thing that they go after is the fact that the doctrine of the apostles, the apostles had to teach these new believers about what it meant to live your life in Jesus. They didn't even fully understand everything Jesus had done. And so they had to explain the miracles and the things that they had seen that Jesus had done. Why? So that they could live the new life that they were being called to. And one of the key reasons why we don't live the level of life that the Bible says that we can live is because we don't understand the way the kingdom works. 
We're still trying to live in the old kingdom and expect new kingdom results. And you can't have new kingdom results living old kingdom ways. We have to make that shift. And see, the first thing that we need to realize is, you know, because so many people are like, well, I, I don't feel any different. You know, it doesn't matter that you don't feel any different. It doesn't matter that you don't feel any different. There has been a shift in you. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creation. There's been a supernatural change on the inside of your life. And it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've accepted the sacrifice of his spilled blood and broken body for your sin, if you've done that, you are a new creation. There has been a shift on the inside of you. And you're not going to wake up every day feeling like there's been a shift on the inside of you. And so we can't base our life on what we feel. We have to base our life on what the Word says. And so many times people don't enter into the fullness of what God has for them because they're trying to do it by feeling. I don't feel like I'm a new creation. I I, I don't feel like I'm a Jesus follower. I I don't feel like I necessarily love God. I don't feel like I'm victorious. I don't feel like I'm an overcomer. Can I just tell you? You'll never feel your way to faith, but you can faith your way to a feeling. And too many people are trying to feel their way to faith. You'll never feel your way to faith, but you can faith your way to a feeling. What does that mean? It means this. It means you put your trust in the word, and by putting your trust in the word, feelings will come that confirm what you have put your faith in. But if you try to feel your way to faith, you're never going to enter into faith. Because your feelings are always going to take you contrary to faith. Can I tell you, giving up my position at the church that I was in in Portland, Oregon, and moving my family back to a city I had no desire to come back to, because I didn't, I left a lot of history in this town. I can take you places where I had major, major mistakes. I'll just put it that way. I can take you to places where the police actually picked me up out of a drunken stupor and took me home with a ticket because I was smart enough to walk and not drive, but apparently not very smart. See, we didn't feel like coming back here. Our life was good. But God spoke, and so by faith we took steps, and now we're like, what were we thinking? We should have been here a long time ago. Why did we stay so long? Well, one of the reasons why we stayed is to meet these guys. But <laughs> See, so many times we want the feelings to confirm the direction that we're supposed to go. And the feelings will lead you astray. See, the... The apostles were big about doctrine because they knew they needed to get the word of God into these early believers. Because if they didn't start to change the way that they thought, 
they would continue to do things the way that they did. That is why Romans 12.2 is so important. Romans 12.2 says this, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove. Prove what? What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? And can I just tell you, church, there's not a good, and there's not an acceptable, and there's not a perfect. Okay? I've heard people teach this, that there's a good will, there's an acceptable will, and there's a perfect will. Can I just tell you with God's will, it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's all three. So, so if <laughs> I'm just doing this because this is God's acceptable will. I know it's not perfect, but it's acceptable. If it's not perfect, it's not his will. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is all three or none at all. We need to realize that they go, oh, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I'm laughing to myself up here. Because it's almost like, you know, my perfect will is that you wouldn't murder anyone. But my acceptable will is that you murder someone who maybe deserves it. You see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Right. Or, or my good is that you would kill them quick so they don't suffer. I know you're thinking, Pastor, you've lost your mind. But you know what I'm saying? If we, if we apply the reasoning that there's a good, there's an acceptable, and there's a perfect, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I'm sorry, his good, acceptable, and perfect will is thou shalt not murder. Period. His good, his perfect, acceptable is that you shall have no other gods before me. I am it. But Romans 12, 2 tells us that we're to see transformation and change by the renewing of our mind. Why do we see change and transformation by the renewing of our mind? Because there's been a supernatural thing that has happened in you. I quoted it a second ago. You have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Whether you feel like that's the truth or not, it is the truth. You need to renew your mind so that your mind comes in alignment with what's already happened on the inside of you in your spirit, man. That there's already been a shift that has occurred. And we need to get our mind in alignment with what God has already done. And so many people don't ever align their mind with what Jesus has already done. And then they wonder why they don't get Jesus' results. It's because your spirit man is going one direction and your mind is going another direction. And James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. All their ways. See, the early church had to change the way they thought and they functioned to fully embrace the new life they had in Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you have got to renew your mind so that you can fully step into and function to the degree to which Jesus has paid the price for you to function. You've got to start to think in alignment 
with the new kingdom. That's what our friends did. Their daughter didn't. So the daughter's breaking the law in the backseat of the car, and mom is going, whoa, wait a minute, babe, you can't do that. You need to put that away. Why? Because mom has realigned her thinking with the new kingdom, and the daughter hadn't. And so guess what? Because her daughter hadn't realigned her thinking with the new kingdom, she could get some results that she didn't want. And too many people are getting results they don't want because they haven't aligned their thinking with the new kingdom. Our life is transformed as we renew our mind to think in alignment with the new kingdom. And the number one place that we need to renew our mind to think in alignment with the new kingdom is in what's called the in-him realities. And the in-him realities are really simple, church. They're this. They're all the places in the New Testament that tell us who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And in fact, there's over 33 places in the New Testament that declares who we are because of what Jesus did. And you've got to get these beliefs and these mindsets into you because you're in a different kingdom and you have a different king. And things function differently. So go with me to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to, the, to his good pleasure, or the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I love this. Most people, when they look at the in him realities, just quote the very first verse in these six, which says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Paul is addressing the saints. He's not addressing the sinners. He's addressing the saints, not the sinners. Well, why is he addressing the saints? Because if you are in Christ, you are a saint. You are not a sinner. And one of the things the devil loves to convince us of is that we're sinners that are saved by grace. And yes, we are saved by grace, but once we are saved, we are no longer sinners. We are saints. We are simply saints who occasionally sin. There is a big difference. If you go through life thinking that you're nothing but a sinner, do you know what you're going to keep doing? Sinning. But if you start to embrace the thought that you are a saint, you're a saint. You're set apart. Wow. That causes a shift on the inside of you. So the next time you get ready to do something that's sin and you're reminded that you're a saint, 
all of a sudden doing the sin doesn't seem as great because you realize that it's out of character. You ever had that happen? Where you act completely out of character? For years, uh, I'm over this now, but for years, I, I tend to be a fairly extroverted person. I tend to be a little bit outgoing, just a little bit. Shocker. Really, Pastor? Yes. But here's what would happen. Janet and I would go to a party where I didn't know anybody. And I would act completely out of character. I would get quiet. I would get shy. I wouldn't talk to people because I didn't know anybody. And Janet would literally go, what is wrong with you? Nothing's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong with you. No, nothing's wrong. Yes, you're acting really weird. No, I'm not. She goes, yes, you are. And then one day I finally admitted it. You're right. I realized that when I get into situations where I don't know anybody, that for some reason I felt uncomfortable. And the reason why I realized I felt comfortable is uncomfortable is because I would walk into a room of people and I'd all of a sudden see myself less than those people. Why? Because I had a belief about myself that wasn't accurate. I believed all these other people had something to talk about, had something to share, that they were successful, but I didn't view myself as successful. I didn't view myself as having anything to contribute to conversations. And so because of that, I didn't have anything to contribute to a conversation. But the second that I changed that perception of myself, all that changed. Now we go to a party where I don't know anybody, or we go to a social event where we don't know anybody, or we go to one of our work functions, and I'm completely different. Why? Because my perception of myself has changed. And you know what? This is exactly what happens to followers of Jesus. You have now been translated into a saint. You've become a saint because of what Jesus paid the price for, for you. But as long as you think like a sinner, as long as you believe that you're a sinner, as long as you believe, oh, it's just by grace, I'm just going to squeak into heaven, that's exactly how you're going to behave. And so the first thing that Paul does is he declares to them, you are saints. Church, I just want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you did last night. Today, you are a saint. In fact, you were a saint when you did that thing yesterday. You are a saint. But you know what? These six verses actually declare eight things that are realities about you. Because you have placed your life into Jesus. Because you have said, Jesus, I need you and I accept the sacrifice that you made for my sin. I make you Savior and Lord. Because of that, there's eight realities that are right here in these six verses. The first one we already talked about is that you're a saint. The second thing is you're blessed. You're blessed. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed. You are blessed because your life is in Jesus. You need to change your thinking. You're no longer cursed. You're blessed. Blessed means that good stuff happens to you because you're blessed. Then he goes on. Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him. You were chosen. 
Jesus chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. You reacted to him choosing you. He chose you. You were chosen. He didn't overlook you. You're not a mistake. You're not a cast off. He wanted you. He chose you. And then it goes on. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Did you know that you're holy? You're holy and you're blameless. Pastor, you don't know me. I know. I don't have to know you. I have to know Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, then you have been made holy. There's been a supernatural change that took place on the inside of you, and you have been made holy and blameless in his sight. It's true. Whether you want to believe it or not, it's the truth. And then it goes on, and it says, uh, having predestined us to adoption. You're adopted. You're adopted by the God of all creation. And you know what I love about adoption? Is you choose as a parent. You choose who you adopt. It's a choice. When you make babies, hey, whatever you get, you get. It's true. I wouldn't have had two girls and a boy. I might have had three boys. I might not have survived. I love you. I'm very happy with the two daughters. Megan's birthday is today, by the way. 19. The baby is 19. Start having kids at 12. No, I w- no, I don't wish. Maybe had them younger. Maybe had them younger. Anyway. But you know what? When you adopt someone, you choose them. God chose you. You weren't a, a, a luck of the draw. He chose you. He adopted you. He brought you into the family by choice. And then it goes on and it calls us Sons and daughters. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Yeah, you have earthly parents, but you have a spiritual father that chose you and wanted you. You were part of a new family. The best family. And you're a son and a daughter. And then it goes on in verse 6 and says... And he made us accepted. He made us accepted. I don't know about you, there's been a lot of times in life I didn't feel accepted. Or I didn't feel like I fit, or I didn't feel like I belonged. But Jesus said, I accept you. And you know what's really great about Jesus accepting us? Is he accepts you warts and all. Warts and all. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with Zach this week, and 
Son, if you see this, I hope you don't mind I'm telling this story, but he called me a couple of nights ago, and he's got tears in his eyes, and he's choked up. I can tell something's really bothering him. And, uh, you know, when your, your child calls you and they're choked up, and you can tell they're obviously upset, it, I mean, you know, your mind goes a million different directions. And I'm like, well, I'm like Cheech, because that's his nickname. We call him Cheech. I'm like, Cheech, what's going on? And um, he goes, I, I just... I just came from team meeting. I'm like, well, what happened at team meeting? You know, I'm thinking, he got demoted. He's not going to get to kick. I'm like, what's, what's going on? What happened at team meeting? And he proceeds to tell me that, he says, Dad, the coach has had us write on a piece of paper why we play football. He said, Dad, there was... This one person, and it was all anonymous, right? The coaches just read them. Because there's this one person that, that, that put on his piece of paper, they said, I play football because it makes my dad love me. He said, my dad never loved me. My dad never gave me any attention until I played football. And now because I play football, my dad loves me and gives me attention. And with tears streaming down his eyes, he goes, Dad, I'm so glad you're not like that. That I have a dad that loves me. He goes, he goes you'd be proud of me if I was a bum. <laughs> and I said, I may not be proud of you, but I would love you. <laughs> I would love you. See, my son in a moment realized the love and the acceptance that he has from his dad when contrast to someone who doesn't. Someone who thinks that what they do on a football field earns them that love and that acceptance from their father. And can I tell you that so many followers of Jesus live just like that football player, thinking that if I do the right thing, if I say the right things, if I do the right things, then God will accept me and love me. But it's not true. He already loves you and accepts you. And what's really crazy is that because Zach has this unconditional love and acceptance from his dad, he goes, Dad, I am so different than so many of these other guys, and I just want them to know what I have. I want them to experience it. I'm like, yeah, me too, buddy. And it's in that he realizes I'm not here to play football. I'm here to give Jesus to others. That's really why I'm here. Now, he loves football. Don't get me wrong. He loves football. But he realizes the call of football, it pales in comparison to the call of Jesus. Because he understands that he's loved and accepted right where he's at. And I'm telling you, church, when we realize that we're loved and accepted right where we're at, it changes us. And we have to get that realization in us. Because there's a lot of times we don't feel like we're loved and accepted. A lot of times, I don't know about you, a lot of times I don't feel like I'm worthy of love and acceptance. 
but it doesn't matter. He loves us. You are accepted. And I love how it ends. It's, it ends, made us accepted in the beloved. You know, beloved's not a word that we really use. Right? We, when's, the last, when's the last time you used beloved? Right? Uh, Pastor, never have, you, never have I used beloved. And so because of that, we don't really understand it. But let me just help you. Put some separation in there between the B and the E in loved. You be loved. The author is saying you are loved. You are accepted and you are loved. And see, the early church understood that they had to change the way that they thought about themselves in order to fully embrace everything that God has for them. And it's still true for us today. One of the key basics that we have to get back to is the in him realities. Who he has made us in Christ Jesus. And church, I'm here to tell you that you are a saint. You are. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are holy and without blame before him because of what Jesus did. You are adopted. And you're now a son and a daughter. You are accepted. And you are loved. You know, you're here this morning and you hear that list and you go, that's not me. Pastor, you don't know. And what I want to tell you is I don't have to know. Because this is who he said you are. And there's 32 other sections of scripture in the New Testament alone that align exactly with what this is saying. See, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, it was about way more than just our salvation. It was about us entering into a family and having a father that loves us so passionately that he'd pay the highest price any of us could pay so that we could enter into it. And you might be here this morning and say, you know, Pastor, it, it just doesn't seem like Christianity is working for me. All the promises that I hear you talk about, all the things that you declare, I don't see it in my life. I want to tell you the, one of the key reasons why you don't see it in your life is because you don't believe these foundational truths. And so this is the place that you need to renew your mind. And I'll tell you, it takes some effort. Because we look at ourselves in the mirror every morning. We go through our days and we know the mistakes and the failures that we make. We know the thoughts that we think that nobody else knows. And we end up comparing our life to this list. And can I just tell you that the way you feel 
will never get you to this list. Because you will feel the guilt of your failures. You'll look at yourself and you'll remember the things that you've done that are not right. And you'll remember the thoughts. And the devil will be really good about reminding of you, reminding you of them. And that's why I said earlier this morning that you can't feel your way to faith. You've got to faith your way to a feeling. You've got to choose to say, you know what? I am going to believe this about myself. You want to know why the early church was so powerful? Why they were able to do the things that they did? Yes, they had the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in incredible ways. But the other thing is the, the apostles put into them the doctrine of who they are. And how do I know this? Because it's throughout the epistles, throughout the New Testament, 33 different times at least, teaching them who they are in Christ. And so you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, Pastor? I don't feel like that's me. Here's my challenge to you this week. Take Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. Declare it over yourself every day this week. Start to speak it out of your mouth. Let your ears hear it. And you'll be surprised what starts to happen on the inside of you. Because what you'll be doing is you'll be putting faith with what the truth is. And the word tells us that truth brings us freedom. So I challenge you in that. But I also had an impression this morning... that you feel like you don't deserve to be a son or a daughter. And you struggle with that. You struggle with things of hearing that you're accepted and you're loved and you're adopted and then you're a son and you're a daughter. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. So this is how we're going to end church this morning because as I look around the auditorium, I'm pretty confident of the spiritual condition of every single person here. That you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior. But you're here this morning and you're struggling to accept these realities for your life. I want to pray for you. So we're going to close and I'm going to release you and as we do, I'm going to ask those of you who don't want to receive prayer just to quietly slip out. But if you do want to receive prayer, I encourage you to come to the carpet. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, I just ask for your blessing upon every single person in this room. Fathers, they've honored you by giving them, by them giving you the very first part of their week. Father, I thank you that you honor them. Father, that you go with them into their week. Father God, that you're making the crooked places straight. And Father, I thank you that this week for them is ordained with blessing because they are blessed. So Father, go with them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like prayer this morning, go ahead and come to the carpet.
If you would like more information about River's Edge Church, please visit our website at visitriversedge.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for listening.